Hey, thanks for allowing me to teach you tonight. It's a privilege. There's no place I'd rather be than to hanging out to then be hanging out with a, a bunch of students uh, here at River of Life and to teach you the Word of God. Um, I when I come and, and teach the students here um, at Grace of the Valley, I always try to prepare something. That's the Lord, and uh, I always try to prepare something specifically with you in mind. Um, sometimes when we, we speak on the road, we, we as teachers and preachers, um, we end up, uh, you know, kind of using something we've done before, and I always prefer, especially dealing with students, to really kind of prepare with you in mind and start fresh, and Corset gave me the, the context for the summer of unequaled, and then the theme verse of Colossians 1, 15 to 18. And so I set a course to just begin to pray and ask the Lord what would benefit River of Life this Friday night. And so I've hand-selected 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's a single verse, and I'm going to quote it so many times tonight that you're going to memorize it with me by the end of the night, okay? It is pretty simple. It states, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you fill in the blank, do it all to the glory of God. And so when I think of the theme for the summer, unequaled, I can't decouple it from the glory of God. If you heard uh, Jaden tonight, he used the glory of God three times in his testimony. Just reading verses, 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 7, a different text. It's everywhere. It's like you getting a candy apple uh, Rubicon and thinking there's no other candy apple Rubicons in, in, in the Central Valley. And then you buy this car or your parents help you acquire the car. And guess what? You see red candy apple Rubicons everywhere you look. What you're going to experience as the fruit of our study this evening is you're going to see the glory of God every time you open your Bible. It's everywhere because it's absolutely critical. So whether you eat or drink the two most mundane things in this life or whatever you do, I want to encourage you this evening to do it for the glory of God. We're going to get a working definition of the glory of God. We're going to define it. We're going to, we're going to talk about it. We're going to see how it's revealed to us in the scriptures. And so this one is for you. And if you grasp this, one of the most important concepts, theological concepts in the scripture, I promise you, your life will be transformed. All right? So unequaled, colon, the glory of God is our title, our text, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Let's begin. You ready to get busy? So here's the deal. Socrates was, uh, was an amazing Greek philosopher. And he was known to be extremely wise. Not because he could answer every question. What made him wise is because he knew how to ask the right question. Asking the right question is more important than you knowing the answer to every single question. He didn't have all the right answers, but he did know how to ask the right question. I'm here before you this evening to remind you the most important question to be asked is the question, why? Nothing cuts to the quick 
faster than asking the question, why? After Socrates, Jesus came along and he deployed the same teaching tactic. And he consistently asked why. We see his finest sermon is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. He asked a bazillion questions of his audience. He wants them to think. And asking the right question is critical in the Christian faith. For example, he says, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I ask you to do? On another occasion, he says, why are you anxious? On another occasion, he says, why are you, you worried about the speck in somebody else's eye and you have this big beam in your own eye? He's consistently asking the right questions. And so asking the right question is absolutely critical for us this evening. Why? The question why is the best question. And let me extrapolate. The question I want us to think about tonight is why am I here? Why am I here? I think it's the ultimate question. It's the superior question. It is the most important question that anyone could ever ask you. Why are you on this planet as a young person? Our verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God, answers that question. This is the question that has been answered for centuries. Let's go back to 1647. There were a bunch of Scottish and, and English theologians that got together and they wanted to teach teenagers. They wanted to teach young people. And so they came up with a catechism. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And it was crafted in 1647 for young people. And there are 107 questions in the Westminster Catechism. But question one is the question I'm asking you tonight. Here it is. Here's question one, 1647, speaking to teenagers of the Westminster Catechism. It's this. What is the chief end of man? And then they would answer and it was a question-answer that you would walk through and you would learn theology from it. So the question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, students, tonight is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Students, you exist to glorify God. And we glorify God when we feel, think, and act in ways that reflect his unmatched, unequaled glory. You exist for the glory of God. Let me say it a little differently, a little more modern. We have one goal, one incentive, one purpose, one motive, and one objective as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is to glorify God. We exist, all of us exist, to be enthralled with the glory of God. I believe it's the right question for you this evening and for myself this evening because it's both grand and very practical. And Shay and I were talking. He'd say, I'd love it to be rich theologically but immensely practical at the river of life. This verse is grand the glory of God, and immensely practical. Whether you eat or drink or play plunger ball, you are to do it for the very glory of God. Why? There's no one like him. 
He's unmatched in his splendor. He is unequaled. Do you remember the angels in Isaiah 6? They were communicating back and forth, and they were trying to describe the Lord of glory. And they said, holy, holy, holy. Do you remember that incident in Isaiah 6? And then the next phrase is, is quite off because you're thinking that the holiness of God fills the whole earth. And they don't say that. They say this, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's filled with his glory. So this is a grand topic. God is unequal. He's unmatched. And we'll give you a working definition in just a second. Next, it's practical. It's extremely practical. Why? Because the glory of God, students, is the criteria by which you judge everything. You ask questions like this. Will it glorify God? Does it glorify God? Is, is, the, is, is everything we're doing geared towards glorifying God? It's the question on a personal level, it's a question on the corporate level. When Scott, your pastor, is sitting over there and he goes to the office on Monday morning and he meets with the steam team and the worship team, he gets together and he says, what are, what, is what we're doing glorifying God? It is the singular most important question. Secondly, on a practical level, it's a moral imperative to understand and to grapple with the glory of God. Now, do you remember this thing that happened in the 1990s? And it happened because of teenagers. Teenagers in Holland, Michigan, in the 90s, were reading Charles Sheldon's book in, from 1896, and they came up with this phrase, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Do you remember that? Did anybody ever, ever remember that? Or you ever have one of those bracelets? Ever, does anybody have a WWJD bracelet? Own up to it if you do. Don't be a coward. Come on. Come on. Nobody has one on? Oh. Anyway. It's with my Rolodex, so, yeah. So they came up with this phrase, and what they were asking is, is the, is the criteria, the glory of God in everything we do? And so these students basically saturated all through the 90s. All of us that are a little older know all through the 90s, everybody was into WWJD. What would Jesus do? It's in essence asking the moral imperative, does what I'm doing and what I'm engaged in or about to engage in glorify God? That started with teenagers. There's also another teenager. And so this message is a spillover. So what happens here, in July every year, I set aside the month to study biography. And I pick someone from church history who I think would be fascinating, and I study every day, and I read every book I can get my hands on and afford, and I study their life. And so this July, it's Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, when he was a teenager... In 1722 and in 1723, took him about a year and a half, he wrote 70 resolutions. And what they were was for him to remind him and give himself a roadmap. Has anybody ever encountered those 70 resolutions? You've heard of them before. Jonathan Edwards, 70 resolutions. They're still in print today, and they were written by teenagers. So in the 90s, the teenagers were rocking the world. And then in the 1722 and 23, Jonathan Edwards, another teenager, is rocking the world. Listen to number one resolution for Jonathan Edwards. Number one, he says this, resolved to do 
whatsoever I think to be the most to God's glory. Six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. You're hearing it over and over again. The first six of his resolutions of the 70 were all about the glory of God and how it reflects in how you live. So the topic before you as students is grand. It's heavy, it's thick, it's weighty, it's right, it's beautiful, but at the same time, it's immensely practical. We're going to be able to roll up our sleeves as students and really walk away with a, a working definition of the glory of God and, I hope, an intoxicating passion, an intoxicating passion for the very glory of God. So let's begin. You ready? What is the glory of God? Now, to be fair, and all theologians agree that it's extremely difficult to define the glory of God. It's kind of ethereal. It's up in the cloud. And it's, it's kind of hard to get your mind all around it. So here's the best attempt, and I'll give it to you in a single sentence. It is the manifestation of God's unique beauty, splendor, and holiness. It's the manifestation, the glory of God is the manifestation of His unique beauty splendor and holiness that triad it is the going public of his holiness god is altogether unequaled he's altogether separate in other words god has listen follow me he has intrinsic glory he never has a need to grow he never improves he never gets better he can, you cannot improve upon God. He's unmatched. He's unequaled. And so it's the glory of God is Him going public with His beauty and splendor and holiness. It's a holiness that no one else has. It's perfection. It's perfection. It's infinite worth. It's infinite grace, greatness. It's infinite per perfection. God in Jesus Christ is glorious. He is the glorious one. Now to our theme verse. Listen to this. Colossians 1. Remember? This is what Shay and the team picked. Your leaders picked this summer. Let me read verses 16 and 18 of the theme verse for the summer. For by him, listen, all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, Rulers and authorities, listen, all things have been created through him and for him. You exist, students, we can answer the question tonight, for the glory of God. You are here on this planet for the glory of God. And then verse 18 of your theme verse. Why? So that he himself might have the preeminence in all things. And you can extrapolate in all things in your life. In other words, your life would submit to His glory and to His lordship and to His dominion, right? So the glory of God is the sum of His greatness. It means you're putting God first in your life because all things are created by Him and for Him. Now listen, here's an, it's a very important footnote. We don't add to His glory. We ascribe Him glory. He's the glorious one. 
He's perfect. He, he's the, the righteous and glorious one. We don't add to his glory. We ascribe it to him. We, we praise him for his glory. He is of infinite value and worth. Brilliant. He is the brilliant, inescapable life. We give him the honor due. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 43, verse 7. Everyone who's called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, I have formed even whom I've made. And then you add Psalm 139, 14, which says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made, particularly just the way you are, students, for the glory of God. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So it's, it's heavy, the glory of God, and it's glorious, right? It's awesome. It's fun. It's, it brings joy to your life to understand and to wrestle with and to comprehend the very glory of God. God has unequaled, unmatched glory. God is the middle. The beginning, the middle, and end of this life. Jonathan Edwards, on a Sunday night just like this in the summer of 1749, he wrote this. Listen, students. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Family, friends, spouses, children are but shadows. God is the substance. They are scattered beams. Oh, students, but God is the sun. They are but streams, and God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven, as it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and the whole work of our lives to which we should subordinate all the concerns of life why we should, what we should labor for, what we should set our hearts on, and anything else but that which is our prayer and our true happiness, which is the glory of God. So it's grand, it's vast, he's unequaled, but at the same time, this is immensely practical. It brings joy when you see how awesome God is, how infinite he is, and how finite we are, Right? This is why Colossians 3, Paul said, hey, students, set your affections on things above. Have you ever heard someone say, like, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? It's not true. As a matter of fact, I've never met somebody like that. It, it really is quite the contrary. It's, you're so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. We have got to, as students, right now, be enthralled with the glory of God, we've got to set our affections on things above. We have to rivet our attention on the very glory of God. One writer put it like this. I, I thought it was kind of cool. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you as students aim at earth, you'll get neither. Let me say that again. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth in your life. Your focus is just earthly, not setting your affections on things above. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. It will come up short. It will not be to your joy. And so what I want you to do is to be intoxicated with this theological, rich, thick doctrine of the glory of God. And watch how practically it shapes your life and thinking. 
Let's look at the text. It's pretty easy exposition. All right? First word, whether. Whether you're male or female. Student or adult here tonight. Leader or participant. It, it really doesn't matter. This is all-encompassing. This affects every single one of us, starting with myself as your teacher this evening. So it's all-encompassing. Whether, and then he says, whether you eat or drink water. Mundane things, aren't they? Two things Paul pulls out. He's just, he's just looking around. Whether you're eating or drinking, whether you're sleeping or brushing your teeth, whether you're playing plunger ball or flossing, the dance move, flossing, right? Whatever activity you engage in, do it to the glory of God. Eat strawberries to the glory of God. Eat a Butterfinger Blizzard because it's the only one that matters to the glory of God. Do you even have Dairy Queen out here? Oh, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. You're missing out on one of life's great pleasures. We'll get you one soon. We'll bring one to you, right? So he says, whether you're eating or drinking, he says, even down to the mundane things of life, if you're going to watch a movie tonight, watch it to the glory of God. If you're going to go fishing or wakeboarding or tubing or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's what he is saying. And then finally he says, he has this little parenthetical phrase, or whatever you do. And you get to fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you're in school or sports. It really doesn't matter. It's limitless on location and activity. It's all-encompassing. Whatever you do, you are to do it for the glory of God. That is the imperative. That is the expectation on all of us this evening. We are to live in such a way that our lives reflect and ascribe the glory of God by what we say and by what we do, how we act. We're to act in such a way that we actually bring glory to God. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 15 to 18? He says, you're salt and you're light. Why? So that others will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when you live in such a way as to retard corruption and push back darkness with how you live, it will bring glory to God. And that's why you are here. You exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Is there any better topic this evening than the glory of God? And he's, he's, the fact that He is unequaled. The final thing I want to do is describe how the glory of God manifests itself. There are lots of ways the glory, for, the, the glory of God reveals itself, but there are four categories, I think, that are critical and probably rise to the top, okay? And I just want to walk through them, and I'll point to texts and, and read those texts if it's necessary, but I'll just point to them and point them out to you so that you can see them like that red candy apple red Rubicon that you thought you were the only one that has it in the Central Valley, and you see them up and down the 99, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I bought, everyone has the same car, right? You're going you're gonna to feel this way about the glory of God because it's replete, it's, it's dense, it's all over the scriptures, all right? So the glory of God reveals itself in four primary ways. First, it reveals itself in the precepts of scripture, in the precepts of the scriptures, the text I'd point you to, you can write it down in the column, is Leviticus 
10, 1 to 3. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu decided, they were the sons of Aaron, and they decided they would strike out on their own self-styled worship and assume that they could bring about the glory of God. And so they offered, the text says, strange fire. They offered something to the Lord that he did not prescribe. The context of this is, in Leviticus 9, you see that God really is particular about what he wants us to do in worship. It's not just freestyle when you come and worship. There's, you come with clean hands and a clean heart. And there's, there's, there's things that you do. Well, these sons take it to the next level. And they do it inappropriately. And what happens to Nadab and Abihu? Lights out. God takes them out. Takes them off the planet. Says, you're done. You will not... You will not trample the very glory of God. So fire comes down and kills them. Why? Because he says, this is how you will worship. And it's a precept. It's described. And if you try to change up the precepts, another good word for precepts are the scriptures, right? God's commands. If you try to change it up, you're tinkering with the glory of God. Don't do that. Do exactly what God says when God says it with a right heart attitude. That's what obedience to the precepts look like. And Nadab and Abihu stand and they summit the example of you trying to do it your own way. You're not to do that. So the glory of God first reveals itself in the precepts. Second, the glory of God reveals itself in creation. In creation. Psalm 19, verses 1. The heavens are declaring, are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hand. The creation, which we're experiencing tonight, and the air we breathe, all of it declares the glory of God. When you look out and you see mountains off to the east, you should think, oh, the glory of God. How awesome are those mountains and how finite I am in comparison to those mountains. Now, you're getting used to those mountains. You're going to school and you're passing and you're looking out and you're just seeing those, the, the, those western Sierras and thinking, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And you get up under those things. They're massive and they reflect the glory of God that he created them, right? And so the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Do you understand that the earth that we're on just the facts about this particular planet are mind-blowing. For example, we are on a perfect axis or tilt, 23.5 degrees. One off, one less, it's over. We're at the perfect distance from the sun. We are a little further away, it'll be too cold. We're a little closer, it's going to be too hot to bear. We travel around in orbit the sun 365 days. We rotate perfectly at 24 hours as we're orbit orbiting the earth, making it habitable. The atmosphere, the density, and the composition, the air you breathe is just right and had it be or it ever gets a little bit different life will not exist right this is common grace the heavens 
look around, declare the glory of God. You should walk out in the morning and say, man, I love living in, in, in Central Valley. I love living in California, these perfect sunny days, because it reflects the glory of God, right? I mean, the sun, if it's any closer or any further, it's a huge problem. And just so you understand, there are three million earths could fit in the sun. So just a little bit off, just a degree or a hair off. And I'm telling you, the God of the universe controls that all. The very air you breathe, the breath you took tonight to play plunger ball or to eat at a table or to sing praise songs was because He, as the Creator, provides the perfect elements so we can live and exist. Nature displays the glory of God. Next, three. Third. The glory of God is revealed in His presence. In His presence. Now we're going to go back uh, into the Old Testament. And Moses asked the question. He says, God, I want to see your face. And in Exodus 33, God responds. He says, no man sees my face and lives. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It's so brilliant and so awesome and so unequal. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tuck you in some rocks I'm going to pass by. And when I tell you, you can look up and you're just going to catch the, the tail end of me passing by. His presence would set down. It, it first set down in Genesis 1 where he hovered over the deep. And so you have the presence of God, which is the glory of God setting down. And Moses said, I want to see your face. He says, can't happen. No man can see God's face and live. It's inexpressible. It's brilliant light and brilliant glory. It's supreme. It's unequal, unmatched. And so we see the glory of God revealed in His presence. Fourth and final. The glory of God is revealed in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of God is revealed in His Son. Let me read Hebrews. You just listen up. Listen. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And He, Jesus is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power, which He made purifications of sin. And once He made purifications of sin, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance of His glory. God reveals His glory in His Son. It's good news. Jesus is the very glory of God. Now take Hebrews 1 and then couple it with John chapter 1. Listen to John 1. Just listen up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Jesus, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't even comprehend it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here it is, students. Here's that red Rubicon. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Psalm 24 the psalmist asked the question, 
Who is the King of glory? And it states, the Lord of hosts is the King of glory. That's Jesus. The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? It's a question. It's a great question. Who is the King of glory? That King of glory is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we worship. When you see Jesus, you see the glory of God. You see the glory of the, the Father. It's revealed. His glory is revealed in the Son. And Jesus becomes the mediator of God's glory. And so when you embrace Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you embrace the glory of God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, students, you've actually seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we have an advocate who is the King of glory, the the Lord of glory, the, the host of glory, as Psalm 2410 states. So let's wrap it up. I want you to look up at me. So here's the deal. If, if you can't see it tonight, or you're disinterested tonight, there could be a reason why. So if you can't see what I'm saying, and it just doesn't, you can't, it, it just, you can't see it, right? It's hard to get your mind around it. Or you're disinterested tonight. You're like, what is he talking about? The, the glory of God. I mean, what, what is all this? Here's a possible reason why. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-7. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There it is again, the red Rubicon. Who is the image of God? For we don't preach ourselves, oh no, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as simply servants. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So if there's disinterest tonight, and it's possible, right? Or you can't quite see it, it's possibly, a possible explanation is that your eyes are, are blinded uh, to the glory of God. And that's our prayer here at River Life, that you would see for the first time the amazing beauty and perfection and holiness and splendor and unequaled glory of God. Because that's why you exist. You exist solely on the vertical. You exist solely for the glory of God and to enjoy Him forever. Forever. What's also interesting to kind of couple together there is Romans chapter 1. Now, Romans chapter 1 is a tough pill to swallow, to be honest. You should look at it on your own. But you know that he's talking <clears throat> to those who are disinterested. And he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. For even though they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. They can't see. Oh, they're professing to be wise. Listen to the students. Then they became fools. And look what they did. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. It's a scary line. God gave them over. Why? Because they exchanged worship of the Creator and they started worshiping the creature. And that's exactly what Paul's going after in Colossians 3 too. Students, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Don't be so earthly. Don't be so earthly minded that you are no heavenly good. You need to be enthralled. You need to be intoxicated with the concept of the very glory of God, the brilliance and splendor and majesty and beauty of the glory of God. So if you're here tonight and you're disinterested, it's just possible, right? We've all been there. Or kind of blind. It could be because you can't see the glory of God because you've exchanged the glory of God for something else. And I don't know what that is, but you've got to sort through that stuff. And I mean hot now. I mean, you've got to sort through it tonight. It's that critical. It, it's, that, it's that important. It's that significant. Why? Because we're asking, remember what I started with? We're asking the supreme question, right? The supreme question is, why do I exist? I'm here to tell you on the authority of Scripture, you exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So that's grand and weighty, thick and heavy, and you need to think about it, to be honest. But what I love about this singular text in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's just so helpful. There's not a day, students, look up. I've been at this for 32 years as a believer. I got saved when I was 21 years old. I've been at 32 years. There is not a day that I don't get up, roll out of bed, put my feet on the floor, and say, you know, whatever I do, whether I eat or drink today, I'm not even sure all that this day entails. But whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do it to the glory of God. It's, it's a moral imperative for me. It's energizing. It's intoxicating. It's calibrating. It's aligning. It does everything. That singular verse, and Paul just takes this grand theology of the glory of God and says, hey, uh, whether you're eating or drinking water, you're to do it to the glory of God. If you're playing Monopoly and Uno, you better do it to the glory of God right? If you're playing sports and you get on the field, then you do it to the glory of God, right? It's that practical. So I hope this evening that I've been somewhat convincing to you of the significance of why you need to know the glory of God and ascribe to him his glory. He is zealous to be glorified. He is your creator and he is zealous for that. He wants that in you. So if you're in Christ, that's why you exist, to glorify God. If you're outside of Christ tonight and you don't know him, you need to bow your knee and give him glory for the first time and watch the scales be lifted. You will see things you haven't seen before. The light will come on. The bulbs will come on. All the verses your parents have been sharing with you all these years will just start exploding in your mind. And everything will make sense when you grapple with the glory of God. So you got teenagers in 1990 in Holland, Michigan going, hey, um, 
We really need to have a phrase that helps us think through the glory of God. What would Jesus do? Immensely helpful. You've got Jonathan Edwards, another teenager, in 1722 and 23, sitting down for his own record, own accord. He never wrote those to be read by others. And you can read all 70. And he wrote down and said, listen, I need to do everything I need to do this day for the glory of God. So if you're in Christ, let me ask you, are you submitting to the glory of God? Are you living in such a way that people can look at you and they say, man, look at her. She glorifies God and how she lives and how she dresses and how she thinks and how she talks and what she walks, watches, where she goes, everything, whether you're eating or drinking, right? Doritos for the glory of God, right? Everything, in and out for the glory. We've, I've already eaten in and out like 300 times since I've been here. And it's only been here 24 hours. For the glory of God. And you think, that's bad for you. I don't care. Because I want to go to heaven. And I don't want to, if you go to heaven and you look like some of these guys, you get the same body for the rest of your life. When I get there, I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to come in hot, like, ooh, boom. And I hit, and they're like, whoa, transformation. That's not theologically correct. But that's kind of my theory, you know. So I, I want to come in kind of heavy and hot. And then you get a whole new deal. If you look like some of you strapping fellows, you're not going to get anything but what you got. So I'm just warning you. You know, when you get older, you'll do what I'm doing. So, all right. Do you get it? The glory of God. Let's together. And here's what I love about this. You guys are young people. Don't, don't wait. Don't procrastinate ascribing glory to God. It starts right here. And wouldn't it be sweet? Wouldn't it be awesome at Grace Church of the Valley and all of you students in all your respective churches got together like these young people in Holland, Michigan and Jonathan Edwards and got dead dog serious about the glory of God? I promise you, if it's on your mind and on your heart, and it is now because this text of Scripture sunk deep into all of us this evening, then it will shape how you think. It will shape how you live. And I'm telling you, I spent almost what, 20-some days with Jonathan Edwards, and it is, it is shaping how I think. It's influencing how I think. And I hope that it, a little bit of that has spilled over on you, and you've had a fresh taste of the unequal, unmatched Christ, the Savior and the Lord. Let's pray together. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, just take a minute before we start singing and... Um, and hanging out together tonight, just take a minute to think about the glory of God. And I would just ask yourself to try to put yourself in one of the categories. I know it's kind of hard sometimes, but are, are you in Christ or are you disinterested? Start there. And if you're in Christ, are you reflecting the glory of God and how you live and think and act? If you're outside of Christ, you're exchanging the glory of Christ for the creature. You're worshiping creation. Never intended to be that way. And I want to boldly remind you as you're thinking right now, why do I exist? It gives you meaning and hope in this life. You exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's grand and thick and deep, but at the same time, it is so practical because it shapes how we live tomorrow and tonight and every day of our lives. Father, I ask that you would take this text and stick it deep into us that it would shape us and hold us and come to us when we're tempted to sin and when we're tempted to do something silly and foolish. I pray that this text would rise into our thinking and 
rise into our hearts. And I do pray for this student ministry and these kids and the River of Life folks that, that they would truly be intoxicated with the glory of God and that you would raise up young people here who love and prize and ascribe to the glory of God. We ask this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.